I know that. No, no, I'm just saying it's fucking. I mean, they fuck up all the time. Really? Yeah, yeah, it's brutal. But it's always live on. It, it always goes to iTunes in a uh, unedited form. We just have to reboot. It's uh, it's back up now. Okay. Um. So where were you? Um. Natural disasters. Natural disasters. Yeah. How much I, so, you so, factor so, that? So I think what we're you know it's it's basically we can see where we're going at the moment. There's more and more natural disasters coming faster and faster. Some of that may be because of the fact that we're going through a whole solar system wide transition, as scientists like. Demetria from Russia talks about, and this guy Dieter Bros. Some of it may be because the level of human consciousness is more meshed with the natural state of the planet than we actually can comprehend quite yet, which is what most of the indigenous people believe. I mean, I've been visiting, like, we've been doing retreats down in Colombia to work with the Kogi Indians, and they walk like 25 hours down from the mountains to hang out with us. And that's basically the message that they've been giving us from, from, their, from their, you know, older understanding of, of the nature of reality, you know, it's somehow the, the level of human spiritual development and how much we are in a reciprocal relationship to our local world, you know, ha- has an effect on what type of catastrophes do or don't occur. That's Ooh, their perspective. God damn. So uh, when the earth is sick, it's because we're sick and we're all sick along with it. So as tsunamis and hurricanes and earthquakes and ultimately shifts to the polar ice caps and shit like that and super volcanoes and Yellowstone that are ready to blow and kill half the shit on the continent, that that is all in correspondence with the sickness of this species, of us? That's that's the indigenous perspective. God damn, that's a scary thought. But listen, man, if we look at the ideas of quantum physics that even observing something with certain intentions can actually change the outcome of particles... You know, when they do those tests, those slot tests, and they show that observing an experience actually, or observing experience actually has an effect on the result of the experience. Right. Or, or you could say there's no such thing as, as just being an impartial observer. You're right. always participating in, in the outcome. That's a better way of looking at it. It really does make sense that it, it, it operates on macro, micro, and ultimately, you know, this one gigantic level. Right, which is what, like, Western alchemists talk about when they say, <sighs> as above, so below. How fucking crazy is it? The idea that human behavior can actually inspire storms. You know, you don't want to say that because you don't want to say that, like, the most fucked up places are the places that get the storms. But I used to do jokes about it. They're cruel jokes that I would never do now. But I used to do jokes about how tornadoes were attracted to the smell of white trash <laughs> and that they just circle when you have too much macaroni and cheese and, 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 and 40 ounce beer in one air location. But it's a terrible idea. It's a terrible joke. It's, it's really cruel to you know, think that you're cooler than these fucking poor people that live in some place where the uh, sky becomes an angry monster. But it is kind of weird that they only land in fucked up places. You don't want to think that. You don't ever want to blame people for that. But wow. You know, I mean, obviously, we know that's not true because there's geographic centers in this country where they're certainly attracted to, you know, but the idea that more of them come because people are more fucked up and they're accelerating because our society is deteriorating. That's a terrifying thought that we're responsible for that. Well, or, or, or even in a, on a one percent level. Even that, mm-hmm. that we're responsible for just having any influence on it. Not that we create it, but that we even have any bearing right. well, on I mean, natural I mean, disasters. As I, as I discussed in like the 2012 book, like the Hopi, for instance, who live in Arizona, you know, tribes like that may have actually chosen to live in, in very difficult environments where survival is really like on a knife edge because it forced them to be able to do things like rain dances. So they did it on purpose? Or do you think they that it was just purpose. a... Res- 
do you th- is that it or is it that is the result of them living they, they, in this difficult environment mm-hmm. they develop more character well it's quite possible because they had a you know large choice earlier on of where they were going to leave and it's possible they actually chose to leave and live in very difficult environments because it forced them to develop their initiatory and psychic capacities the only reason why i'd question that is because back then resources were so scarce and you were on foot essentially so if you were on foot how much fucking ground can you cover and how much do you know about other lands you know, how much do you know about if you move five hours south, it doesn't get that cold? You don't fucking know. I, actually, I totally disagree with what you just really? said. Really? Well, on, on both levels. First of all, I think that they, they did know. I mean, for instance, we now understand that there was like a sign language. Even native people who didn't speak the same, you know, language could actually communicate with a very highly developed sign language that was all across the continent. And second of all, what they've discovered is that a lot of native cultures were actually more like cultures of abundance than cultures of scarcity. That actually the amount of work that they had to do today... You know, compared to what we have to do, you know, an average day was a lot less. But like, that doesn't make, match up with your idea of them moving to a very difficult environment to stay alive. Because well, no, I'm talking about the Hopi in particular. Let's say, like, you know, they were like the Tibetan Buddhists of the native people. Like, they oh, I they, see what you're they saying. chose the most difficult spot. What is this? Did they state this anywhere? Or is this just a conclusion or a, a feeling you have? No, it's a theory. It's a theory. I mean, you know, maybe it's ludicrous. But, but um, uh, it was a sense I had my visited them for the book, and I read a lot about them, anthropological accounts and so on. But the whole thing is, like, I mean, they would put themselves through these extraordinary, uh, you, know, uh, you know, kind of uh, efforts. You know, like they, the, the Hopi snake clan, they would go all around the area. They would collect all of the most uh, poisonous snakes they could possibly find. Then the men would sit, you know, just naked, wearing loincloths in a circle with their knees touching. They would open up all of the snakes in the middle of the circle, and the men would have to sit entirely still until all of the snakes had crawled past them. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty fucking wild. <laughs> the, right, they, def, they definitely had their shit together when it came to rites of passage. <laughs> you know? I remember that movie, the, A Man Called Horse. Do you remember that? No, I didn't see that. It was, uh, it was a... Um, God, I forgot the guy's name. The, he played the father in uh, Gladiator. Peter O'Toole? I believe it's Peter O'Toole. I might be incorrect. Anyway, amazing fucking movie, but... One of the scariest parts of it is one of these rites of passage that he has in order to become one with their tribe. He was an American or a be an Englishman. Or, I forget what the fuck it was, but they hung him by his nipples. Mm-hmm. You know, they used to do shit to test your. Oh, limits they still do the, the sun dances. <sighs> they put uh, they lance you through the uh, through the pectoral muscles and hang you up. Oh, yeah. really? Is that necessary? Apparently, yes. <laughs> yeah. It's the Indian equivalent of uh, t- teeth straightening, I guess, or Botox ingestion <laughs> or injection or something. Oh, it's way worse than that, <laughs> or way better than that, rather. It's, um, I think, you know, the, the, just having something, like having a bar mitzvah, having some sort of a celebration. It doesn't even have to be, you know, you're hung from a tree by your tits. It just has to be something where, like, okay, I, I pass through the door. Well, There's a symbolic door. But that, that's actually, what you're saying for me is like a big distinction. Because for those cultures, initiation was actually about going through some process through which you would master non-ordinary states of consciousness. You mean you know? what, what cultures? Well, like the native cultures. Okay. I mean, initiation was not just a celebration. You actually right. had to overcome, you know, a, a life-death crisis. You had well, to, you had you to had be to... a warrior for them, too. I mean, there were, you were in a constant state of, you know, defending your tribes. And, you know, you, were, you, you had to be able to overcome very, very terrifying situations, even in hunting. You know, they had to make a man out of you. Yeah, but 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 I I, mean, I think that a lot of it was really more about um, learning to have a disciplined approach to non ordinary states of con- states of consciousness. You know, to um, control states of consciousness. I mean, what do you mean by non ordinary? Do you mean like peyote enhanced? What do you? Yeah, mean? I mean obviously peyote mushrooms, and these are all native. You know, 
ayahuasca and so on, but then also things like fasting, you know, and being, you know, not eating for five nights while you're just sitting on a mountaintop or something. Or and what's have, the benefit of that? It's well, it's exactly puts you in exactly the same kind of state as as the psychoactive substances. Five, fasting for five days. Sure, th th those will bring on uh, visionary visionary uh, experiences. You know, they they were ba and and force you to you know discipline your mind to be able to withstand. Um, you know, ingressions from like the astral realms and so on. What do you say to people that say that doing something along the lines of fasting where it's actually possibly dangerous to your body and that's what's causing you to have these experiences is really kind of a silly thing to do in this day and age where you could choose other paths to the same sort of results without damaging your body and shutting things down. I don't know enough about nutrition to tell you whether or not it's healthy, but I've read a lot of people that start talking about fasting for days and days and days. They say it puts strain in your kidneys. It's, it's not good for you. I mean, I mean, I don't know. No, I, I wouldn't it, say that it is. It's not good for you to not eat. It probably I mean, isn't. I don't not. know. I know I people don't know, get but really I, I actually know a lot of people who, who love it and find it to be very helpful. And actually, one of the you know, in terms of extending the human lifespan, they found that you know, reducing your caloric intake is is, is the most uh, direct way to do that. Well, that makes sense. Is just your body's you know going at less RPMs. You know, a, a race engine's not gonna not gonna last as long. There's as a, a good episode of Penn and Teller bullshit. Look at the cleansing episode where they go through like the the, the diets, like the lemon detox diets and shit like that, where you don't eat. They mm -hmm. also go through the colonics and the whole thing like that. That the, the whole thing is it, it's a crock of shit. Penn and Teller's bullshit makes some excellent points, but they also make some silly ones because they they want to find the conclusion that everything is bullshit. That's what they're doing. I don't think so they're they ever dismiss, saying they dismiss yoga. I watch them dismiss yoga. yoga where he's talking about it's just stretching, it's stretching. And I was like, wow, you're crazy. You've never done a yoga class. If you you do yoga for two hours and tell me that's just stretching, <laughs> right, that shit makes you high. Yoga, episode yoga makes you high. <laughs> yoga makes you, I've, I've gotten as high from yoga as I have from a couple hits of pot. No doubt about it. No doubt. Like, real strong pot. I've gotten to, like, body tingling moments. Like, especially if you take, like, a real good class, like hot yoga, where you go real deep into poses and you really hold them. Anybody that dismisses that as just stretching, you're either not giving me the full information that you're, you have access to, or you did a really sloppy job of investigating it. You know, you can't just say these fucking Indian masters that have been doing this shit for thousands of years are just stretching. And that's why they have these very specific poses that they believe activate very specific regions and hemispheres of the, of the chakras of the body. You can't you just dismiss that. Well, you can if you want. I mean, that's, that's what's so, that's, that, that's what's so uh, kind of interesting and cool about what's happening right now and how things are so, you know, complex. I mean, yeah, I mean... You know, I mean, I was looking at a book by this guy Dean Radin, who who, who studies uh, psychic phenomena as a scientist at Institute of Noetic Sciences, he, and we interviewed him for a film. Wrote a book called The Self-Aware Universe, and he analyzes a whole you know centuries worth of data and psychic experience, experience statistically. He even looks at reports from the U.S. Army and and the government, which support the existence of psychic phenomena of non-local communication mind-to-mind, -mind, which means that consciousness is not simply brain-based. It exists you. in a different way. Now, but I've also read recently this book by Richard Wiseman called Paranormality, who believes there's no psychic phenomena, you know, busts every evidence for it, you know, and, and, and in, in his own way is quite convincing. You know, so, so, so for me, it's, it's, um, it just makes it a very interesting uh, time, you know, where, where you can approach anything and analytically rip it apart and find the weak spots but but maybe what uh, what's missing from Penn and Teller and Richard Wiseman's understanding is the sense that uh, intention is somehow a fundamental uh, aspect of the universe 
You know, so so if your intention is to, you know, take something apart, desecrate it, ignore it, you know, and so on, you can do all of that for sure. You know, but um, but but within there, you've kind of missed a, a subtle key that that actually makes a life worth having in a way. Well, <laughs> intention is uh, aware, and you, you can be aware of it in a very tangible form in the art of stand-up comedy. It's you cannot be thinking about something different, say something else and have the people react to it. They won't. It won't work. It's a weird thing. You could have the joke worded correctly. You could say it with the right intonation. You could, But if your mind isn't into it, they can smell it. It's the weirdest fucking thing in the world. A, a connection that you have with an audience, it could be an audience of 200 or it could be an audience of 1,000 if you reach that full connection. It is like a giant mass hypnosis. There is a, some sort of a relationship that you had with these people. And if somehow or another something hits you, you re remember something mm -hmm. or something bothers you or you think about an argument that you got in with your girlfriend or a bill you forgot to pay or any distraction that makes you feel in a negative way, even if you're saying the words the same way, uh -huh. Uh -huh. the audience will feel it. <laughs> they will feel it and they will back off you. You That's can feel it. Mm -hmm. You can feel them go, he's not, he's not engaged. <laughs> it's legit, man. It's real. You can't tell me it's not. I've always said that, you know, I do my best to uh, write stand-up. I sit down. I do my best to put in the time to be there to make the writing happen. And I do in the time when I, I perform enough so that I get on stage that I'm really comfortable and I relax. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I'm not exactly sure how that shit is even coming out. I don't know where it's coming from. I don't know what's happening. And when I'm on stage, when I'm completely locked in, I am as much a passenger as I am the person who steers it. And as long as that works, as long as I'm in that groove and the audience is in that groove, the whole thing will go seamlessly. But one little hiccup, one little bad thought, one little error, one little stress point, and everybody hops off the, the, the ride and waits and looks at you. He goes, you going to get this thing going again? And you go, yeah, I'll get, get back in. Everybody get back in the ride. <laughs> we're okay. We're okay. Do you know what you're doing now? Yeah, I know what I'm doing now. They can tell. And that's a psychic connection. That's a legit, tangible psychic connection. That When you're on stage, you feel it from the crowd. You feel like waves of positive and negative. You literally feel the energy. You can say that, right? You've, you've had really good sets on stage, and you've had jokes that bombed, and you've had people angry at you. you felt that, right? Don't you feel it like a wave? It, 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 it affects you just like anything, like it getting hit by a snowball, you know? Yeah. Like if you got a bad joke on stage, if you got, that's the worst. <laughs> if you had a bad joke on stage, but uh, it, it would hit before you were like having a great day. Yeah. After that, you're, you're having the worst day ever. Yeah, just like if you life, just got hit in the face with a snowball. Your life is the exact same life. Literally none of the hard details have changed. And yet you feel like a fucking loser, you know, because these people have let you know you have not given us what we want. Yeah. There's this weird sort of an exchange that's going on with well, an audience. I think like uh, hypnosis and, and trance are things that are operating like much of the time, you know. Have you ever watched a mass hypnosis show? Yeah, I did watch them in college once, yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, Thanks. Sorry. They used to have them uh, all the time in Boston at the, um, there's a place called uh, the Comedy Connection. Every week they had this guy, Frank Santos, who would do a hypnotist comedy show mm -hmm. that seemed like bullshit mm -hmm. until you saw it a few times. And when you saw it a few times, you would realize, oh my God, these people are really fucking under. It's so weird. And not everybody, he would know. He would go up to the people that weren't and he'd look at them and go, okay, you get off the stage. And he'd pull the people off the stage. But the people that were up there, for whatever reason, he found their, their, their hack code. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. and got into their I mean, I, you know, I, I tend to look at most of our, you know, politicians and, uh, you know, news anchors as kind of uh, Illuminati sorcerers who use a trance hypnosis <laughs> to keep people in a, in, a, in a lowered state of consciousness, a lowered state of suggestibility. Uh, Illuminati. I hate black wizards. <laughs> he got, a, he got um, robbed by a black wizard. A guy dressed up like a wizard put a gun in his chest, sort of. Guy had a fake beard on, really? so he called him Black Wizard. <laughs> it sucks, man. There's this guy at my Starbucks, and I feel so bad for him because he he totally rem- reminds me of him, the guy that robbed me. And every time I fucking walk in there, I'm just like, damn, I'm fucking totally just eyeing this guy more than no- like I, I normally would eye like somebody. Suspecting like, him. I'm, I'm like waiting in line, and I'll just be like, what's that guy doing? Like a dog that used to bite you. Yeah, exactly. And he, I've caught eyes with him like three times. I feel so fucking bad about this. I might have to switch Starbucks because of it. Just switch Starbucks, dude. Yeah, I'll just do that. Just, you know, I'll it's on you, it. man. Yeah. But yeah. then he's like, he's kicking me out of the Starbucks. You know? well, what if it's him, too? It's you know, probably even that's weirder. The idea that you somehow or another manifested that is where things get really spooky. You know, the people that believe that you manifest every single action in your life and that you have some sort of well, it's ultimate not really, control. I wouldn't say it's not really you. It's more like the, uh, I, I, I'm playing like the Vedanta perspective. That basically, there's like a singular consciousness. You know, we're kind of like, you know, we're, we're part of the projection. You know? Okay. <laughs> what, what is the way, if that is the case, how can I avoid some horrible bullshit in my life? I just have to do the right thing and be super nice and always go in a positive direction. And you can't always... control that shit, dude. You can't, you can't control, control it. it. Like, I, I'm starting to think well, just, that you can't just, control just, it at just, all. Uh, if you can't avoid it, just ignore it. What's, what's the bullshit that you can't ignore? Oh, well, just a, like like if life and death, people for whatever For whatever reason sickness. right now, in all my life, for whatever reason right now, the last year to two years of my life have been the most psychotic and crazy, but yet I've also been pause, the, please. the most successful. Pause, please. Pause, please. The most He's successful. Been, pause, please. He's been dating porn stars. Mm-hmm. Okay, what the fuck, man? All right. You know what I'm saying? I also watched you know what I'm a dog fucking die. I've also got oh, mugged dude. by a gun. I've also fucking okay. had a million okay. other okay. things that lately that has been happening that in my whole life never has... My life has been boring as right. fuck. It's you know? True. And now but, I'm having like horrible things happen to me at the same time as I'm having like the best time of my life. Well, you know, that maybe that maybe there's something wrong in the formula of how you're interacting with the grid. Maybe there's something wrong. What if you had to forget it? Forget, forget your life. Put it away. Right. You're not even you. If you had to look I at mean, your how life many people objectively, get audited? hold on. Let's, I we're got taking audited exercise. too. What the Bro, fuck? a lot of people. That's how the government steals <laughs> I, right, money not, from you. Not, hold please. Not one of my friends have got audited. Hold please. Hold please. If you were not you, okay, forget right. about the emotional attachments you have to all, the, all your issues, how would you fix you? What would you, you say, you know, the one thing that we would like to correct about Brian would be X. What would it be? What's the number one thing? Yeah, if you, had a, if you could, instead of working at something, if you could just correct something about your behavior, the way you think about things, or the way you look at the world, or anything, what would it be? Uh, do not throw come on walls. Okay. What if you just stop doing? I that? really don't. Do you think, I, do you think I really. It's related? I really don't like. I, I never think. So you don't believe that any of your about myself. I, I don't have, feel like I have any flaws. I don't overthink in my 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 personal. This problems. is what I'm trying to get to. This is what I'm trying to get to. I don't know if it's either or. I don't know if you look. There's babies that are killed in drive-bys, and when I hear about that, I go, "Well, that doesn't. How the fuck does that work? What, what's going on there? You know, is the, did the baby have some negative thoughts?" Then I'm, and then I think about it, and I think about all the positive things that have happened in my life, and, and all the positive things that I know have manifested themselves through a certain type of thinking, a certain ethic, a certain way of looking at the world. 
and I wonder if it is either or or if it's a combination of things. You know what I'm saying? Daniel? Uh, I tuned out for a second, sorry. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I don't blame it. <laughs> no, but I just personally think that, um, you know, the only choice we ever have is to, like, look at the bright side or the, or the crappy side. So why not just always look at the bright side? Yeah, but you, know? you were looking at the end of Civilization. <laughs> I was just looking at the moment I was looking at your Doom, Doom. statue and your voodoo doll and your, uh, kind of, and your, your, your sort of Balinese uh, demon the there. Welcome to the dark side. Oh, this, well, no, I'm actually, the, the Balinese stuff is just, I've always been fascinated by Eastern art. <laughs> I think it's beautiful and I, I think it's amazing how cheap it is you could get like this amazing thing I'll because it's haunted that's why because there's little kids that made it <laughs> little four-year-old kids made it little this ginger kids artwork man I, I love this no, I have one of those things too. I'm not really into like you know I've uh, I've bought paintings before and I don't kind of get a lot of what people are really into uh, so there's some I was at a, um, a guy's house once and uh, he had a, a picture on the wall and I go oh did your kid make that and this guy goes oh no that's a that's like thirty thousand dollars and I went what the fuck are you talking about it looked like some painting on some ripped pieces of cardboard that were randomly stuck in a beautiful frame and I really thought that it was something that uh, a kid did so I don't get that shit. There needs to be a pure one that's just that kind of shit. Like gold Buddhas, but more of a corporate place that's just super cheap. Like that Why? could be like $10. I want to buy a dragon mask, but I want feathers. I want to be cheap. You know, because like that kind of shit's popular. Everyone likes that kind of shit. Why don't they make it like a Walmart of that shit? Brian, I think you're missing the point. I also think that they should make cat food and dog food into one food. They, they could probably easily do that. I don't think they can. I think they have different dietary needs, you all right. fuck. They can all eat chicken, right? Okay, so put that on the list. Well, if you want to go straight They can all chicken. eat basil. All right, put chicken basil this, on the list. This guy is brutal to work with, man. <laughs> I'm sorry I brought you in It makes sense, here. right? I brought, I brought a serious man in here. He's a fucking New York Times bestseller. crazy. You're talking nonsense about cat and dog food, you lazy cunt. Why don't Go out and buy the that? cat food. It seems Go out really and buy easy. the dog food. Stop fucking up the my show. My cat's eating dog food and my dog's eating the cat food. Well, Why don't you, they just mix it? You got a problem that you got cats for a bunch of ex-girlfriends, you fuck. This guy, he's he gets a new relationship. He's like, oh my god, we should get a kid. And they go out and they get a fucking dog. And then the girls dump him, and he's got a goddamn zoo at his yeah, house. It's like watching Little Orphan Annie. I'm like Daddy Warbrooks. Sorry, man. This is this is a serious <laughs> podcast, but it's also it's also a comedy podcast. The good news is we've had an excellent conversation. I guarantee you, a lot of people will buy your shit. So, hey, Joe, I was at the comedy store, and there's there's that whole ghost that ghost thing that happens. There's no at fucking the ghosts store. anywhere. God I know, I know, but I'm so tired of. Do you do you believe in ghosts? Of course. Oh my god, Joe, there, I was I was sitting in the green room behind the main room. We were who all does, smoking who pot. Who doesn't know that ghosts are real? I've, I've Wait, collected so many on, incredible stories on. about ghosts. Really? What, oh, yeah, what do they do? Uh, I mean, a friend of mine. Uh, I mean, her her uh, friend's brother had had committed suicide, and she was sleeping in the house where um, he had died. And uh, she had a dream that they were having sex. And uh, she woke up from the dream, and um, her her covers were up, and there was this kind of like spirit figure over her. And as soon as she began to open her eyes, it, it dissipated. There's no way that could um, have been a dream inside a dream. No, of it? course it could have been anything. Of course it could. But I mean, I mean you know, it's, it's only. I mean, you know, because there's no. You know, how are you going to verify this type of thing? But when, I, when right. I've collected a whole number, you know, of, of anecdotes told to me by people and, and observing their, you know, their their state, their 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 efforts to kind of understand it, to fathom it, my own experiences also, I've had similar. You know, it's it's, it's I, I think that there's no doubt that, you know, probably, you know, psychic energy collects in physical environments and. 
when people are no longer there, if they have a stake in that environment and they're not finished with their business in the world, they, they hang out, you know, or some piece of that them. The some, energy of regret and resentment or something, some sort of a bad energy is enough to keep a, a residue of I mean, that when, when my when my father died, I mean, he had a loft, was full of his paintings and his sculptures, you know, I, the last, and he had a big freight elevator, like I was working with two guys, bringing his stuff out. As we're bringing out the last uh, shipment of, of, of his sculptures down in the freight elevator, suddenly the uh, light bulb, you know, just totally popped, you know, and, and we were in darkness. And, you know, we were all looking at it. We, nobody had touched it. You know, and somehow that psychic energy that was, that was constellated, you know, between us and, and him, you know, caused this thing to happen. Or the light bulb. Died. I was, Joe, I was yeah, in the yeah, green but, room. I mean, right, like, but you like, know the what like the phone call that, you know, you right. didn't have to make today to me. Right. You know, when, there are certain things when you feel the synchronicity, it's like, it's like a click, you know, and, right. and you know, it's like, it's like you have an intuitive, you know, acceptance that uh, you're, you're being shown a little bit of like the fabric of, of, of space time, making a little bit of a, of a ripple or something. Yeah. I was in the green room, seriously, with like eight people, nine people. This is people. at the comedy store? The comedy store, like The comedy store, ago. if you didn't know, for just FYI, was Ciro's nightclub. And it was uh, Bugsy Siegel's hangout nice. in Hollywood. And a lot of people allegedly were murdered there. Mm -hmm. And every single person who has been there for more than you know X amount of years has some sort of a ghost story. Every one of the waitresses has something. Managers have mm -hmm. something. You know, how much of it is psychosomatic? How much of it is suggestion? How, how much, much is other comics? And, yeah. and and I was sitting there with like eight other people. We we're just smoking weed, hanging out, talking. And suddenly the door sounded like somebody shot a gun through. Like it didn't feel like – sound like somebody just shook it or kicked it. It seemed way more powerful than that to the fact that I think everybody in the room kind of got down. was like, what the fuck was that? And we all kind of got down like on the couches and on right. the ground as if we all thought for sure that was a gunshot. Right. Well, just let me stop right there. Yeah, and, and then it's of course, an old-ass building. You know, Here's what's important. This is a building from the 1920s that's right. on a fucking fault line. Right. Those buildings shift. And every now and then they shift and they literally crack and it'll it'll make a noise. I've been in the comedy oh, really? store when it makes noises. Okay, it's it's it an old was scary ass. Build. As fuck. I'm not <laughs> saying that it wasn't a ghost. No, but I'm I, saying I, that I, the I, most I likely explanation is that. I thought it was another comic and he, it's just like the secret. Like, oh yeah, we take this plunger and then we just hit it as hard as we can. Like, it, there's my like an old my, comedy secret. I'm sorry. My grandparents lived in a, uh, a supposedly haunted house, and I stayed there with them in, uh, in in Newark, New Jersey. And it was on North 9th Street, and there was a guy who actually died in the house. And it's uh, he was a guy who was uh, renting a, a room there, and he died. And they they always thought that this house was haunted because the house is always making noises. But it's a fucking house that was built in like 1909. You know, it's an old fucking house. And when you're, you're dealing in a place like New Jersey that's moist all the time and it rains all the time and then it gets hot in the summer and cold in the winter, sh wood is like, you know, it's an organic piece of, you know, construction. It, con it, it constricts, it expands, depending on the, the moisture in the air, depending on it being cold or hot. And the, car, the, the old houses like that, they make a lot of fucking noise. Ah, they creak. They're always ah, clack, clack, clack. And people are like, this fucking place is haunted. Mm -hmm. Or it's an old house, man. But I'm not completely averse to the idea of ghosts. But a lot of people that talk about ghosts are full of shit. Well, I just think if there is ghosts, there would be an easy way to prove it. And we've talked about it before. You just go to somebody that's like wife's got died in a rape. And you go to his grave and just or her grave and just start humping her grave or something oh, like that. Oh, dude. And, you know, if there was such things as ghosts, ghosts would come out and be like, dude, what the fuck maybe are you not. doing? Maybe they wouldn't want to indulge you in your nonsense. Maybe you would hit the wrong No, frequency. come on. If, if, maybe, look, maybe it's not something that can easily be tuned in. Maybe it's like the northern lights. 
Like the idea of, you know, you can't capture the Northern Lights and put it in the fucking beam and blast it on Manhattan. The Northern Lights are, you know, it's ethereal. It's some sort of a thing that, you know, it moves and pulsates in the sky. You know, maybe that's what like a ghost is, like a very minor version of that. Like it doesn't have a, a rhyme or reason for when it exists or doesn't exist, but it, sometimes well, I, I think it, does, it probably and sometimes does, it does have a rhyme and reason. It's it's just we don't understand the, those laws yet. You know, right. there's like you know, it's, it's not to say that it violates nature. It's just so, that our understanding of, of natural law is limited by our by our mental conception, by the type of science that we've constructed, and so on. Are you convinced? I mean, what what like. When you look at like the evidence of ghosts and look, not look at ghost shows, if you look at ghost shows, wait, wait, what evidence are you talking about? Do we have any solid evidence ever that there is a ghost, or just no. speculation? Almost entirely speculation. There's no it's scientific off, right? evidence. Well, that doesn't mean that they're not real, because if you think about what a ghost is, if a ghost is something that's not in this dimension and sort of flits in and out of it, and how do you measure that? I mean, science is, it's, you know, everybody says, well, science says there are no ghosts or there's no scientific evidence of ghosts. Well, science was not really designed to measure shit like ghosts. Science is designed to measure, like, how much does lead weigh? You know, what happens when a star goes supernova? Observable things. When you get something like a ghost, if a ghost was real, and it's an incredibly rare phenomenon that depended on some really exotic conditions... How the fuck are you going to measure that? I'm, not, I'm giving the offer. If there's any ghosts listening, they can fucking <laughs> rape me tonight. And they can just rape my ass all day long with their Listen, ghost dicks. Brian, and Brian, Brian, if it happens, Brian. I'll let you know. I got news for you. If they're going to come here from another dimension, I mean, I mean, they can do I mean, better I mean, than I mean, you. I mean, for instance, there is like um, decent and interesting evidence around a reincarnation. Really? There's a book. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Ian Stevens, who's a professor at the University of Virginia, wrote a like 2,500-page book called Where Biology and Reincarnation Intersect. And he found all around the world there were uh, children who had spontaneous uh, recall of uh, past lives, mm -hmm. and often very specific. Like in India, they would be like, well, you know, I, was, I lived in this town, I'm, my wife had this name, I had two kids. So in a number of cases, he found these kids, and he went back to the towns that they talked about, and, and they found this family and established that there had been this, this connection. And, and um, there was and a sense no of familiarity. Genetic? No, no genetic. No and, genetic line? No genetic line. And sometimes the, the, the kids would even have like a pronounced birthmark, like a birthmark on the neck or something. And it would turn out that the previous, uh, you know, incarnation perhaps had died of a wound to the neck in a fight or something like that. Is it possible that the connection is an abstract one? That, you know, they, 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 they haven't met it yet, but that yet there's not a, a, a balanced value to learned experiences that are transferred through genetics, like instincts, and that perhaps some instincts that we have are really like things go wrong, you learn from them, that's why you're afraid of cats. I mean, kids are afraid of monsters. Well, this that is like live a you know, seven year old kid suddenly out of nowhere saying, you know, mm -hmm. I, ha I have a wife in Agra. Mm -hmm. I have two kids. I need to see them again. This know? is, but this is my point. Isn't it possible? I mean, isn't it possible that somehow or another that there is a, a memory that through whatever a mutation or whatever extreme condition or weird circumstance as far as like physical biology becomes a more potent one, and that this, as it is transferred through through generations, awakens this memory, awakens this 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 experience that someone who shared these genetics oh so many generations ago actually did have. That all of a sudden, yeah, for whatever I strange I reason, I don't think there's any um, idea that that you know genetic material could could hold memory like that. 
Well, what about memes? What, you, what about the idea that even racism can be transferred genetically? I mean, that's a really kind of a, a widely considered idea, almost yeah. unprovable, but right. I mean, considered the, by I, mainstream scientists. I, I think that like a lot of those 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 ideas about all these things being inherited by the genetics, being this kind of master molecule, are actually being kind of challenged right now by the emerging biology of epigenetics, which is recognizing that. Um, you know, awareness actually begins at the boundary of the cell where uh, chemical signals are exchanged. There's a kind of cognitive process that happens even at the permeable boundary of the cell as some signals are allowed in and some are ignored or rejected. And that what's allowed in actually then influences how the genetic material expresses itself and reproduces itself. And that, actually, that, actually, that actually it's not so much the genetic material as the master molecule. It's more as if the whole cell is a unit of cognition or awareness. This is very much thinking of people like uh, Varela. But uh, is this a theory or have they have done this a, is a detail? They have, okay, but they haven't done a detailed accounting. Sure, right. they have. Yeah, I mean, this right. is, uh, you know, you look at the, the biologist Bruce Lipton. He has a book called uh, Biology Beyond Belief, mm -hmm. really looking at how... Um, you know, consciousness uh, and awareness begin even at a cellular level, and how that in itself influences and inflects how the genetic material expresses itself. That the genes are not master molecules. Uh, the whole idea of it is so fascinating. The idea of you know, I mean, w w what what instincts? I mean, where where do instincts come from? I mean, is it all from one initial source? You know, stay away from fire. You get scared when you see snakes. I mean, these are all learned impressions. In, in our, our material, the material that makes human beings, there's certain things that you show people, and children when they're really young have certain fears and you know notions of the boogeyman and the you know the, the monster that lives in the woods and the things in the dark and, and a lot of these are imprinted from being killed by jaguars from some you know proto hominid that lived five thousand or five million years ago that got killed by jaguars and those those instincts are still tingling in the in the background noise of our minds. Mm -hmm. That's you know. possible, and that could also be explained. You ever get into like Rupert Sheldrake's ideas around sure. like morphogenetic fields? Yeah, and about dogs knowing so when their parents exactly. are coming home. So maybe there was this species encounter that was like a near-death encounter for humanity, and it left this morphogenetic field of, of of fear and terror around the snake or around the jaguar or something like that. Yeah, well, we are certainly moving. I mean, if I had to guess, into uh, some sort of a state where that becomes more and more aware. Don't you, wouldn't you agree? What what becomes more and more aware? The the state of that of this interconnectedness, this morphogenetic field, this idea that, you know, that we we are living in some sort of a, a complex meshwork of biological life and natural natural laws and physics and space and radiation and all of it together combined by and it's sort of an a, people are, are realizing it now yeah. like way more than ever before. I mean, when I was a kid, there was none of this talk. There was, there totally. was nothing along these lines. Yeah, it's extraordinary, and, and maybe that is pointing towards a kind of um, next phase of uh, you know evolution as a species. I mean, do you think it's technology that's going to do that? Well, I, I think we have to look at technology itself as as an aspect of the evolution of consciousness. You know, that actually, like, uh, we're we're tool using and tool making species. We make a new tool, then then we look at the tool or the instrument we've made, and it reflects us back at ourselves. And then it gives us new metaphors for understanding ourselves. Then it allows us to make another more you know, advanced tool. And that creates a whole new set of metaphors. So now we've gotten to the point in our 
tool creation and tool using where this feedback loop is happening faster and faster. So we're having, we're, we're, but, but it's still, you know, a, a tool is a projection of our consciousness, of our thought into the material realm, which then gives us information about ourselves, which then leads us to create another tool, which also advances and evolves our consciousness in that process. Do you ever get to the point where you, uh, you, you get upset that you have a connection with these, these items, these technological items like phones, or do, do you not regret it? ever or do you just accept it and enjoy it like like well i think it's very fascinating i mean it's also i mean as we've been part of what we've been doing with reality sandwich is bringing people down to work with indigenous uh, shamans and elders so recently we went down to the columbia and worked with these kogi uh, guys from the mountains in columbia and when we hung out with them we were in a place without any electricity for uh, eight days so no phone no uh, computer and after like a day and a half, I was like, what did I want all that stuff for again? Like, this is so much nicer. <laughs> you know, suddenly right. you can see the stars, you know, you're at night, you like light a fire, then the fire goes out, you go to sleep, you wake up at dawn. I mean, you know, I think that actually we, we may find that we've gone way too far on this technological path that, that we thought that, that we, you know, we've had a kind of, um, in a sense, the religious belief of modern society is linear technological progress leading to some kind of singularity or transformation that we, we may actually back up from that and be like, well, wait a second, where, where is this stuff leading to? I mean, actually, I have more plastics in my tissues. You know, my eyes are going bad from looking at these tiny screens. You know, why is life constantly mediated by glowing rectangular screens anyway? That, that actually we, we might want to, you know, retract from this technological path and, and develop in a different direction, which doesn't mean rejecting technology. It's more about mastering our projections rather than rather than feeling that we always have to get enmeshed in them and, th and then move in that direction. Is it sort of like riding a bike too fast and you're going downhill and you go, oh, fuck, like it's good to ride this bike, but I've gotten kind of away from my own biological control of this situation. Well, that's certainly what's happened to us as a species. I mean, um, you know, on every level, we've been seduced by our technological projections. And in a sense, we've lost our grounding on the planet. What have, do you ever consider the idea that when some sort of a weird symbiotic relationship where it's our job as the host to create this environment where our, the parasite, which is technology, this new life form that we've created to exist and then ultimately discard us because it is the next stage of not organic life but of consciousness and that consciousness, the next stage of consciousness will be artificial consciousness created by this, this consciousness that was created by biological life. And that we are only here to usher in the next stage. And that next stage is an electronic form, a stage that doesn't have emotions or, or, or nonsense or any of this shit that's that, that torments us. This is not the way I look at it. And there's, first is of all, we don't, we, we, don't, well, we, don't, we don't know. We have no, we have no reason at this point to, to really believe that you know, an artificial intelligence can become conscious in the way we are. I mean, machines may have, you know, a form. I mean, everything may have a form of sentience. But, right. but, but uh, you know, we may still have a very important, you know, role if, we, if we're in our proper state, you know, in, in, in the cosmic unfolding. But should we? I mean, if we are a, a, a step along the way, what, who's to say that that step eventually uh, continues along a biological train? Maybe it really is truly our destiny to create some sort of an artificial life that's not burdened down by our, our, our a monkey DNA and all the instincts that we needed to evolve to this point with the curiosity that would allow us to make something as crazy as artificial intelligence and computers. Maybe we're just the carriers. Maybe we're the carriers of the disease that eventually takes off and, and, well, and develops I mean, on its own. I, I guess part of what I would suggest to you is that you know part of our opportunity right now is to become co-creative with the evolution 
evolutionary process. And that, in a way, means that we have to step into a much more responsible and mature role where we actually become participants. And, and in a way, we still kind of enjoy the spectacle of our own alienation and our own potential destruction. So we kind of enjoy kind of like elaborating these, these, these sort of futuristic mythologies of how our technology is going to overwhelm us or devour us. I mean, that might be the case, but all we really know at this point is that we have will, we have intelligence, we have consciousness, and we're not using it very well. So the first thing I would think that we would want to try to do is use it very, very effectively to see what type of better situation we can rapidly create, you know, rather than fobbing off our responsibility onto, oh, there's going to be this technological thing, or it's too late, we fucked the planet, or there's some new age psychic children coming along. All that stuff to me is just bullshit ass dodges that basically is other ways that we're avoiding taking full responsibility for the planetary situation that we as a species have created, which is for me is really the only way we're going to possibly create a better world in the time that we have before things go to hell. Well, I do agree that as a, a person who's a big proponent of team people, you know, I definitely advocate the idea of us figuring out what the fuck we are doing and making it better for all of us and our relationship with the planet. But to me, that doesn't seem like you're fobbing that off, but the, considering the possibility that we are merely here, as many other parasites and hosts are in, in this world. And you look at, like, grasshoppers, where there's they're infected by aquatic worms, and aquatic worms trick the grasshopper into jumping into water and the grasshopper drowns well, so that the worm can be born I, I, out of I, its I, body. I, I personally think that we actually are infected by, by a parasitical agency. And, and I would say that agency is something like the dominator empire complex. The, the, the sense that we have of separation from nature, the sense that we have the right to you know, annihilate ecosystems, dominate ecosystems, control other people, the whole, the whole trip of empire, the slavery, I mean, there's still tons of slavery around the world, domination of women, that, that that's the parasite that's eating us alive right now. And that's where, you know, if we can go through our inner initiatory process, we, 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 can, we can begin to, you know, find the antidote or the cure to that. But it's not about, you know, f from my perspective, like, giving it up to technology, you know, as an amazing thing. It's more like reclaiming our, our human capacity. And for me, that, that's really where the, the knowledge of, of the indigenous people is, is not, you know, folktale. It's not silly. It's not worthless. It's actually something that, that, you know, those of us who care about, you know, seeking to, you know, move into an evolutionary, you know, framework, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, they, they, have, they have tools and gifts for us. And, and that's why part of what I've been trying to do over the last couple, well, a lot of my work, but, but now in a different way, is, is build bridges to, to the indigenous people and their knowledge systems. You know, so I'm working now with the Kogi in Colombia and also the uh, Sequoia from Ecuador. Uh, what, what, what I meant by that was not that it has to be. It, it almost like when I when I when I look at the relationship that we have with with technology, and I look at the relationship that different parasites and different hosts have, it just as a consideration, you have to think about the fact that our society is completely obsessed with pushing innovation. We're completely obsessed, and I often look at the dominator culture, what you describe, and I say, well, you know, you're right. I mean, that is a huge fucking problem. I mean, war and the domination of other countries and, and battling for resources. But what do you say to people that say that there's no way you can have a society that, that reaches this particular height 
this fast without that as a byproduct and that in fact the reason why people push so hard to innovate and to create new things and conquer new new new, new boundaries both scientifically and socially is that it's all almost a byproduct of this desire to innovate and create and produce this next thing and that this is all a part of us creating some artificial thing some intelligent thing some I, I, I think we have to we have thing. to we have to break the trance of technology which is not to say that we reject technology but we have to break that trance that somehow you know this this linear technological progress is is necessarily you know bringing us to something super amazing and and for me the the shift in the future is more to a kind of um, psychotechnical phase of development. By that I mean that, you know, if you do, you know, if you've had the DMT and the ayahuasca experiences, the yoga experiences and so on, you, you recognize there are these vast dimensions, you know, within the psyche that are basically unknown continents. And, and in a sense, that for me is, is where the action is going to lie for us in the future. You know, as well as potentially exploring other planets, other solar systems, and all this stuff. But but at the moment, we we really more need to get control of our thought projections. And the only way to do that is to undergo an initiatory process that involves you know kind of getting into our unconscious uh, uh, patterns. Initiatory process. Mm -hmm. Like in what way? What do you mean? Yeah, well, I mean, like you know, hanging, you know, fasting or hanging by your pecs for six days or taking ayahuasca, you know, for a couple of weeks until, you know, you're, you're, you're so nauseous that you can't believe it, but still vision and insights keep coming up and, and they begin to heal you of your, uh, you know, pathetic humanness. <laughs> well, you say pathetic humanness, but then are you, are you completely averse to the idea that we are just here to develop something else? Which, I mean, we obviously are just a step along the way and we'll be unrecognizable a few million years I from think now. that what we're here to develop is, uh, you know, integrity, consciousness, and willpower. And, and once we've developed that, then we can think about what else we, we may develop. At the moment, we don't have that. We just think we do. Do you feel happy? <laughs> do you feel happy that you are, um, and I, I believe you are, one of the people that's sort of an, an agent of this sort of, uh, I believe right now, currently, we're in a very unusual age of enlightenment. And I think that the, uh, the, the level of enlightenment that we've achieved uh, culturally over the last year, certainly not everybody, not last year, last uh, decade, certainly not over everybody, but generally, has been more than anything that I can ever remember in my lifetime. And people like you that are pushing these ideas and people like you that are, are, are trying to challenge the way people view things and the standard standard uh, predetermined patterns of behavior we seem to have come to accept, you're a part of moving this thing along. These, these kind of discussions are part of moving this thing along, where people in college, where people who are getting their first jobs, people who are starting their own first businesses are stopping and they're, they're reconsidering the direction that they move forward and what their motives are and whether or not they're just caught up in momentum. Yeah, man, I, I feel extremely uh, humble and, and lucky. Do you feel obligated? Yes, I feel tremendous obligation and, and responsibility to um, do what I can to help out, you know. So what, is there a way to stop this? Uh, what, what is the number one problem that we have? If we have a, a, a yearn for destruction and we're constantly moving the, the in The number direction? one we problem that we have is that consciousness and subjectivity are mass-produced by a system that is basically keeping us in a state of, uh, you know, passivity 
and uh, ignorance. Is that system a natural system? Is that system there because like everything else, like the way alpha wolves treat beta wolves, that, that, that system is almost set up in place so that there is an antagonist? Sure. It's an, I see it as an evolutionary process and just as like, you know, the, the embryo has to push against the shell and finally mm-hmm. break through, you know, or doesn't. Um, you know, we're, is, we're, you are we're inspired in, we're in by process. an antagonist. You, you, Ali needed Fraser. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, and 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 uh, you know, we, we definitely have a, um, you know, a, a powerful, you know, military, industrial, corporate empire complex that has sunk its roots into our subconscious processes and our, and our psychology, and it was going to require it requires a lot of disciplined uh, effort to recognize. How it is, how it is operating through us on so many different levels, and then begin to turn it around from within. That's the facts, bitches. <laughs> That's about it. That's all you're gonna absorb. I don't think you. I haven't absorbed this. This is an awesome conversation. Thank you very much for coming over here, man. My pleasure. Was, Thanks for uh, having me. I appreciate everything it. that I thought it would nice be plus more. Um, <laughs> if anybody needs to get a hold of you or check out your stuff, what should they do? And what did they, what did you hand me here? Okay, so I'll give, I'll give you a quick rundown. Okay. Uh, Evolver.net is our social network. Evolver.net. We have the Evolver Social Movement. We have about 50 groups around the world now, mostly in the U.S. Who beat up every month. We do consciousness raising. We create a theme that could be the future of psychedelics. It could be extraterrestrials. It could be sustainability or permaculture. We use those as both gathering points for people raise consciousness and learn, but then also nexus points for communities to build. How long have you been doing Evolver? That's about a. It's been about three years. You emailed me about this a long time ago when it was first started, but I'm so overwhelmed by. I shit understand. Online, me too. I can't Don't keep worry up. about it. Don't worry about so it. So it's like a Facebook, <laughs> like a, a psychedelic yeah, a, Facebook. It, well, kind of. It, it's a way for you know. It's a way for for a, a kind of global community that's trying to understand this new paradigm and move into it to reach out to each other and then self organize. Has anybody ganked my name, my screen name? Can I get my screen name? Yeah, yeah, for sure. we'll give okay. you, yeah, for Beautiful. Sure. Yeah, and then we have so. a web magazine, Reality Sandwich. Reality Sandwich. We're doing dot com. We're, we're, dot com. We're doing live webinars. We just did one on uh, shamanism practices with Alberto Valdo. So that's EvolverIntensives.com. And now we're doing a line of books that include this book here, Jose Arguelles' book, Manifesto for the Newosphere, which is about this idea of a transition from the biosphere to the newosphere. <laughs> nice. And what is this? Is a nice You're on the iPad, right? Too. You have iBooks and everything like that. Yeah, yeah, Your for sure. We got iBooks, iBooks. So EvolverEditions.com. And there's probably some other stuff. Oh, and UnifyEarth.com is this idea for this December 21st, 2012 global event. And people can actually sign up. There's a resource map. And what there. is that again? This idea to use a Cirque du Soleil no, no, no. I mean, style what is spectacle. the uh, the name of the uh, site? UnifiedEarth.com. Unified, UnifiedEarth.com. Unified and Earth. also, if you're into books, Breaking Up with the Head was how I was introduced to Daniel. It's a great book. And uh, I read half of Quetzalcoatl. I am a fucking ADD <laughs> retard, though, and I put it down. I'll pick it up again now that we've had such an awesome conversation. Daniel Pinchback on Twitter. Please follow him on Twitter along with following Red Band. And uh, follow the Death Squad on iTunes. It's a fantastic podcast collection of comedians. Podcast collection. It's Steve O on yesterday. Steve O was on yesterday. Yeah. There's a, a great show with John Reap and John Heffron that he just started doing. There's Freddie Lockhart has a show called What's Good Now. There's Ari Shafir has a great show called The Skeptic Tank. Tom Segura and his woman, Christina, have the, the Your Mom's House. So there's a, a lot of great podcasts on there. It's a lot of fun. It's all, of course, all free. Um, the Verizon Wireless Center, October 7th. Me and Joey Diaz and probably Ari, too. I haven't talked to him. But the tickets just went on sale today. So, uh, 
um, will be there October 7th. Thank you very much, Mr. Pinchback. Yeah, thanks for so much for having back. me, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you very much to the Fleshlight. Go to JoeRogan.net. Click on the link for the Fleshlight. Enter in the code name Rogan. Is this the first show that you've ever been on sponsored by the Fleshlight? Yes. <laughs> yes. What is Success. The what is the Fleshlight? Do I get we one? Are, yes, oh, for sure. I'll hook you up. We are trying to combine <laughs> seriousness, legitimate thinking, and completely ridiculous bullshit all together in one soup to let people know. Enjoy it. Enjoy it, bitches. It ain't gonna last. Thank you very much, Mr. Pinchback. To um, on uh, Saturday, the August, uh, September rather, the 10th? Yeah. 10th. No, today. Saturday's the 10th. Oh, the 10th. Yeah, Saturday the 10th, uh, Tim Ferriss is coming by, and the 11th is Anthony Bourdain. All right, thank you very much. Love you, bitches, and um, big kiss. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. <laughs>